Heavenly Father, thank you for the Sabbath day that we can come and praise and worship you, Lord. Bless each and every one of us and those that are watching online. Let this message be something that someone needs to hear today. In your name I pray, amen. things you have to get ready just to give a message today. So. All right, uh, today is a sermon that I wrote a long, long time ago. It was actually the very first sermon that I ever wrote um, back when I was starting at Andrews University. I was on the track originally to be a, um, a theology major, uh, was, was hoping to be a youth pastor at the time, and uh, things led down the road, which that's a sermon for another day. But one of the classes I took was talking about writing sermons and how to do it. So we got this, these little books where uh, the, the professor had outlined, you know, it said, you know, if you pick a verse, pick a topic, and then it said write a few sentences about this. It's, you know, pretty similar to how um, writers write their stories. So that's, this was the very first one that I ever wrote. And my wife is probably sick of it because this will be the fifth or sixth time that I've, I've done this. But uh, nonetheless, you know, it is, again, my first one, so I hope that uh, it says something to you if you need this message today. But I entitled this sermon today, um, Joshua Asked for the Son. And let me go to slides here, so maybe, there we go, okay, just so that's not up there. But basically, in life, we ask for a lot of things, okay? Can you remember the first thing you ever asked for? You know, when you were a kid, do you remember what the first thing was you ever asked for? Maybe, maybe for some of you, might your answer would be, uh, I asked for a puppy, or I asked for that new toy that was advertised, and all your friends had one, but you didn't. Uh, maybe, and I know there's probably at least one of you here they're getting real technical about it, and you probably thought the first thing I ever asked for was my diaper changed. Had to have been that. But just stop and think a second, because as kids growing up, we ask our parents for a lot. Can I go play with the neighbor kid? Can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? What are we having for dinner? And the most famous question you always ask your parents, are we there yet? Now think of some of the answers that you got for those questions. Did you like them? Were they favorable to you? Or did you think that the world was ending because you couldn't go out with your friends or see that movie that everyone was talking about? You know, as adults, we can look back at those questions our kid selves ask and wonder, why did I even ask those questions? And if you were like me, you probably already knew the answer to most of the questions you asked. I knew the reasons for the answers that I got, whether I truly believed at the time they were good or not. But when I look back and think, if I already knew the answer, which was usually no, 
then why would I even ask? To shift gears a little bit, what about God? What are some of the questions that you asked God when you were a kid? Now, if you didn't believe in God when you were a kid or grow up believing uh, in a home that believed in God, it's okay if your answer is, I never asked God for anything. But if you did believe in God when you were a kid, what do you remember asking him? Was it that innocent, childlike prayer that said something along the lines of, please let mom and dad get me that puppy for Christmas? Please do not let my teacher give us the test this week. One time growing up, I remember I was very young, and there was a, a girl in my class who had to have her hair cut very short because of lice. And I remember a classmate of mine once asking that her hair grow back soon because she looks like a boy. Children's prayers can be pretty open and honest, and sometimes a little painful. But fast forward now as an adult, and by now you've probably thought of a hundred things you've asked God in your life. Many, I'm sure, you already knew the answer to, but we're hoping that God would change his will for you. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. But if you don't ask, you'll never know the answer. And today I just want to look at a couple people from the Bible and their requests to God and how God answered them. The first set of people I'd like to look at is Abraham and Lot in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So starting in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, See if I can get that to switch. Don't feel like you have to follow along. I stuck it up there anyway, but I'm going to be reading it as well. Um, here we see that God and Abraham are overlooking the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 16, it starts, Then the men rose up from there and looked, towards down, looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And I'll change it here for you. But the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go now and see whether they have done entirely as the outcry, which has come to me, indicates, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Will you indeed sweep the righteous away of the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous people within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the entire place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I'm only dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the entire city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of forty. Abraham keeps going. 
Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Again, Abraham, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He said, I won't destroy it on account of 20. But yet Abraham asks again, Lord, please do not be angry, and I shall speak this once. Suppose only 10 are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. We find here Abraham asking six times for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to be spared. You know, from the context, if you know the story, he, we know that his nephew Lot and his family lived in the cities. And I'm sure Abraham uh, worried for them. And even as we read these texts, we can see Abraham is worried that he might anger God by asking him over and over again to change the number of righteous people that can be found. But as we know the end of the story, God still destroys the city. But before he does so, he gets another request, this time from Lot. So in the next chapter, chapter 19, starting with verse 15, it says, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, take up, your, take up your wife and your daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men grasped his hand in the hand of his wife and the hands of his daughters, because the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and brought him, out, brought him outside of the city. When he had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the surrounding area. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your compassion, which has shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now, there is a town that is near enough to flee to. It is small. Please let me escape there, so that my life may be saved. The angel said to them, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore the town was named Zor. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor, and the Lord rained down hailstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the surrounding area, and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. This whole section we see we have a yes answer from God. A straight yes. Abraham's request to spare Lot and his family was answered with yes. And Lot's request to seek shelter in a nearby town and for the town to be spared was also answered with a yes. Now, while both were yes answers, technically, Abraham's was a yes, but it's still going to be done in God's way. To continue the idea of God's way, in other words, uh, we know it more as God's will, let's look at another request from a famous Bible character. And this request is found in Matthew 26, verse 36. And in this chapter, we find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he's praying to God, his Father. In 36, it starts, Jesus came, to them with a, came with them to a place called Gethsemane, told his disciples, sit there while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and began, and began to be grieved and distressed. 
He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, fell to his knees and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. He said, he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying, so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the, f the, w the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away, prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Here we find Jesus asking God if it's possible to save the human race in another way. But what's interesting to note here is that Jesus asks for God's will to be done and not his. And since we already know what God's answer to his prayer was, I just want to take a moment and look at what it means to ask for God's will. Many times we ask God for things because it's convenient for us. If you think about the story of Abraham and Lot, they never asked for God's will to be done, they just simply asked. Now, I do feel that there's a time and a place to just simply ask, I've done it many times, and usually the answer is no. But I will tell you from my experience that when you ask for God's will to be done versus simply asking, there's a different feeling of understanding that comes with asking for his will to be done. Now, it's very hard to explain for, for me to explain, but even though I know I can't change the outcome, especially if I know that the answer is most, if, and most likely no, I feel that asking for God's will to be done helps me better accept that no answer. It helps me feel less angry about the things that I can't change or are not changing in the way I hope. God always knows what's best for us, and he doesn't put anything in front of us that we can't withstand. It's just sometimes we just need to tear down our walls, swallow our pride, and ask for help. The last example I'm going to bring to you about asking God for things is a story that titles our sermon. In Joshua 10, the heading in my Bible, it says, the day that the sun stands still. Now, to give you a little context here of the story, uh, Moses has died. Joshua now leads the Israelites to the promised land. But in order for the Israelites to settle, they first must defeat the people that are living there. The first stop on the conquest was Jericho. And we all know the story of Jericho, how they marched around the city and they blew their trumpets and the walls came down and that's how Jericho was, was defeated. And when Jericho fell the way it did, news about it spread very quickly to the surrounding towns and to the people there. This prompted the people that were living in the promised land at the time to come together and form a very large army. And there were five kings that lived in this land and they got together and they attacked one of Israel's allies, the Gibeonites. And it says, starting in Joshua 10, verse 6, The men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So what does Joshua do? Well, in the next verses, we see that Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have handed them over to you. 
one of, not one of them will stand against you. So Joshua came up and suddenly, come up to them suddenly by marching all through the night from Gilgal. And the Lord brought, them, brought confusion before Israel, and he struck them down in a great defeat in Gibeon. He pursued them all the way across the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azka and Makeda. And as they fled from Israel, while they were at the descent of Bethorn, the Lord hurled large stones from heaven onto them as far as Azka, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those from the swords of Israel. Now you might be thinking, where is the request in God in all this? Joshua already knows that he is going to be victorious, but here's the thing. If you look on a map, and you look up these cities and places that I mentioned in the previous verses, you would see that these locations are miles apart. It would take a little over a day to walk between all of them. There are thousands of people on this battlefield on both sides, and it would take a lot of time for Joshua and his army to defeat all five kings and their armies. So in Joshua 10, verse 12, it says, Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day when the Lord turned the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said to the sight, in the sight of Israel, Sons, stand still at Gibeon, and moon at the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves and their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher, as the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hurry down for about a whole day? There was no day like it before or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. It was such a large battle that there was just not enough time in the day for Israel to defeat their enemies. So Joshua asks for the impossible. He asks God that it remain daytime so that he can win the battle. For everything that we know about today and how the solar system works, this is truly an impossible request. Even the Israelites and the writer of Joshua are pretty shocked since it does say that God had never listened to man like that before or since then. How strong does your faith have to be in order to ask God for the impossible? We do have a powerful God. We can ask for him for anything, and the lesson that I would like you to take today is threefold. Number one, do not be afraid to ask God for anything, even the impossible. Number two, ask that God's will be done and understand that the answer could be no. And number three, there is no request that is too big or too small that God cannot handle. Because like the stories today, Abraham and Lot asked for cities, Jesus asked for his life, and Joshua asked for the son. What is it that you ask for?